0: Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott.
1: I'm Joe Mott. Welcome to the program. I'd like very much to hear from all of you. In previous episodes of this program, I have defined apologetics as defending the Christian faith and refuting objections to it. Francis Schaeffer calls apologetics pre-evangelism. Today I intend to compare evangelism and pre-evangelism and give additional reasons for doing apologetics, and soon I will answer objections for even attempting to do apologetics. Let's begin. First, observe the distinctions between evangelism and pre-evangelism. In evangelism, we proclaim the gospel. But in pre-evangelism, we clear the way for the gospel by answering questions about and refuting objections to the Christian faith. In evangelism, we are talking to people who believe in the existence of God. In pre-evangelism, we are talking to those who doubt or deny the existence of God. In evangelism, the content is the gospel. In pre-evangelism, we are paving the way for the gospel. In evangelism, we use the revelation found in the Bible, In pre-evangelism, we use reason and philosophy because they are either unaware of revelation or deny its relevance. In evangelism, we affirm the gospel. In pre-evangelism, we are building a case to defend the gospel. We do that by defending the objective nature of truth, giving reasons for God's existence, providing a defense of miracles, arguing for the credibility of the gospel record, providing evidence for the deity of Christ, and reasoning for the divine authority of the Bible. In evangelism, the goal is understanding the gospel. In pre-evangelism, The goal is to remove the interlocutor's resistance to the gospel. So evangelism and pre-evangelism are different ministries. We know that in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus tells Christians to do evangelism. But what about pre-evangelism slash apologetics? Is it only for the intellectual and the specially gifted Christians, or should all Christians be involved? Yes, it is for every believer in Christ to be involved in apologetics. Why? Reasonable questions deserve reasonable answers. Somebody needs to step up and answer them. Robbie Zacharias said, behind every question is a questioner. They, like the rest of us, need compassion. Besides, the challenges they pose to Christianity may lead to great discoveries for both the Christian and the interrogator. As daunting a task as it may seem, it is necessary that we try to justify the truth of Christianity's claims people should be able to give reasons for important points they think are true. In an essay about the apologist C.S. Lewis, Austin Farah makes this comment, for though argument does not create conviction, the lack of it destroys belief. What seems to be proved may not be embraced, but what no one shows the ability to defend is quickly abandoned. Apologetic arguments may not create belief, but it creates an atmosphere where belief can come to life. Part of this responsibility involves the neutralization of a number of potential barriers to faith. Skeptics have heard the questions and have believed there are no answers, but Christians have great answers. Why? Well, for one thing, because Christianity is true. That means reality will always be on our side. And we just need to find appropriate evidence to answer whatever questions we are asked. Fortunately, Christian thinkers have dealt with these questions ever since the time of the Apostle Paul, and we can draw on their knowledge to find the answers we need. There are eight good reasons why Christians need to be involved in apologetics. Number one, the Bible commands it. We have referred to 1 Peter 3.15, Second Corinthians 10, 3-5, and Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 and 16. This command is the most important reason of all. Paul gave instructions to Titus for qualifications for elders in the local church, including the admonition that the elders, quotes, will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. In Titus 1, verse 9. At the time of Jude's epistle, about three decades after Jesus' resurrection, after the death of James, the brother of Jude and half-brother of Jesus, probably after the death of both Peter and Paul at the behest of the insane emperor Nero, but before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. The seducing spirits and doctrines of devils Paul had prophesied about in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 were already attempting to work heresy into the church. It had already raised its ugly head in the nascent form of Gnosticism in Colossae. Now the situation has escalated even further so that Jude wrote, quotes, Beloved, my whole concern was to write you in regard to our common salvation. I found it necessary and was impelled to write you and urgently appeal to and exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. The faith which is the sum of Christian belief, was delivered verbally to the holy people of God. That's found in Jude 3, uh, reading from the Amplified Bible. Accordingly, we see that Jude had planned to write an epistle about salvation, but he had discovered that unsound doctrines were trying to work its way into the church. He abandoned his prior plans to write instead a letter about the encroaching danger. The word he uses for necessary expresses urgency, so that he was impelled to write about what he saw was a very serious problem and needed to be addressed without delay. People, as a rule, do not appreciate being told what to do. But sometimes the situation is so dire you cannot sugarcoat it. Imagine trying to sugarcoat these warnings get out, the house is on fire. Or watch out, the truck is coming. Or stop, that's quicksand. In Jude 3, the word translated urgently appeal to and exhort is a Greek word which literally means to call alongside, and is frequently translated to urge, beseech, beg, or to encourage. It was a word often used by commanding military officers before they sent their troops into battle. A good commander would not ignore the possibility that bloodshed, injury, even death could be encountered, nor pretend that danger didn't exist. His duty was to prepare the troops for war, so he would urge, exhort, encourage, and beseech his troops to face the battle, be alert, fight fiercely. Be strong, be courageous, and in the words of Winston Churchill in World War II, never, never give in. The words contend earnestly are the translation of a Greek word, which is the compound of two Greek words. One means onto or over, and the other is a Greek word from which we get the English word agonize, agonize. In the first century, this word was exactly the word used to picture two wrestlers who agonized to win over the other in a wrestling match. Both wrestlers exerted every ounce of their strength, endurance, and skill to win a very intense physical contest. So the compound of the two Greek words means to go beyond agony, to go beyond endurance in order to be successful. Jude uses these ideas when he wrote to his readers to tell them and us that we have a responsibility to rise to such occasions to do all we can to defend and guard the faith. The second reason we need to be involved in apologetics, reason demands Human beings are created after the image of their creator. We know this from Genesis 1, verse 27, and Colossians 3, verse 10. In that capacity, humans have the ability to reason. Indeed, it is by reason that humans are distinguished from, quotes, brute beasts, in quotes. That's found in Jude 10. God says to his people, come, let us reason together from Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. In order to discern truth from error, as can be found in 1 John chapter 4 verse 6, and determine right from wrong. That's found in Hebrews five fourteen. A fundamental principle of reason is that it should give sufficient grounds for belief. The question is, Will we use our reason? Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Surely we can add that the unexamined belief is not worth believing. A blind leap into the dark leaves us right there, in the dark, alone, without hope. God wants to reach the heart but he does not want to bypass the head on the way to the heart. That's why he made both the head and the heart. Our culture is becoming increasingly non-Christian. Hence, people do not believe in the necessary preconditions for understanding the gospel. These include, one, the existence of, of the God of the Bible, Two, the possibility of miracles. Three, the objectivity of truth. Four, the historical reliability of the New Testament. And five, the truth of the death and physical resurrection of Jesus. All of these will be part of what we prove in this program. Therefore, it is incumbent upon Christians to give a reason for the hope within us as we know from 1 Peter 3.15. This is part of the great command to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, found in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. I say again, reasonable questions deserve reasonable answers. The third reason we need to be involved in apologetics. Humanity needs it. People refuse to believe without evidence. Since God created humans as rational beings, He expects them to live rationally, to look before they leap, to count the cost.
0: Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at wave94 at this email address, Doug Apple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94. And subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.